0: Chapter 13 of The Prince and the Pauper This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Molly, Ho Chi Minh City. The Prince and the Pauper by Mark Twain Chapter 13 The Disappearance of the Prince A heavy drowsiness presently fell upon the two comrades. The king said, Remove these rags, meaning his clothing. Hendon, disapparelled the boy without dissent or remark, tucked him up in bed, then glanced about the room, saying to himself ruefully, He hath taken my bed again, as before. Mary, what shall I do? The little king observed his perplexity, and dissipated it with a word he said sleepily. Thou wilt sleep, I the door and guard it. In a moment more he was out of his troubles, in a deep slumber. Dear heart, he should have been born a king, muttered Tandon admiringly. He played the part to a marvel. Then he stretched himself across the door, on the floor, saying contentedly, I have lodged worse for seven years. It be but ill gratitude to him above to find fault with this he dropped asleep as the dawn appeared. Toward noon he rose, uncovered his unconscious ward, a section at a time, and took his measure with a string. The king awoke, just as he had completed his work, complained of the cold, and asked what he was doing. "'Tis done now, my liege,' said Hendon. "'I have a bit of business outside, but will presently return. Sleep thou again. Thou it." There, let me cover thy head so thou'lt be warm the sooner. The king was back in Greenland before his speech was ended. Myles slipped softly out, and slipped as softly in again in the course of thirty or forty minutes with a complete second-hand suit of boy's clothing of cheap material and showing signs of wear, but tidy and suited to the season of the year. He seated himself and began to overhaul his purchase, numbling to himself. A longer purse would have got a better sort. But when one has not the long purse, one must be content with what a short one may do. There was a woman in our town, in our town did twelve. He stirred meetings. I must sing in a less thunderous key. Tis not good to mar his sleep with this journey before him and he so wearied out poor chap this garment tis well enough a stitch here and another one there will set it aright this other is better i'll bet a stitch or two will not come amiss in it likewise these be very good and sound and will keep his small feet warm and dry an odd new thing to him belike since he has doubtless been used to foot it bare Winters and summers the same. Would thread were bread, seeing one getteth a year's sufficiency for a farthing, and such a brave, big needle without cost for mere love. Now shall I have the demon's own time to thread it? And so he had. He did, as men have always done, and probably always will do, to the end of time, held the needle still and tried to thrust the thread through the eye which is the opposite of a woman's way. Time and time again, the thread missed the mark, going sometimes on one side of the needle, sometimes on the other, sometimes doubling up against the shaft. But he was patient, having been through these experiences before when he was soldiering. He succeeded at last and took up the garment that had lain waiting meantime across his lap and began his work the inn is paid the breakfast that is to come included and there is wherewithal left to buy a couple of donkeys and meet our little cost for the two or three days betwixt this and the plenty that awaits us at hendon hall she loved her husband body o me i have driven the needle under my nail it matters little tis not a novelty yet tis not a convenience neither we shall be married there little one never doubt it thy troubles will vanish there and likewise thy sad distemper she loved her husband dearly but another man these be noble large stitches holding the garment up and viewing it admiringly they have a grandeur and a majesty that do cause these most stingy ones of the tailor-man to look mightily paltry and plebeian she loved her husband dearlyly, but another man he loved she. marry, tis done a goodly piece of work too, and rocked with expedition. Now I will wake him, apparel him, pour for him, feed him, and then will we hie us to the mart by the Tabard Inn in Southwark, and be pleased to rise, my liege, he answers not. What ho, my liege? Of a truth must I profane his sacred person with a touch, since his slumber is deaf to speech. What? He threw back the covers. The boy was gone. He stared about him in speechless astonishment for a moment, noticed for the first time that his ward's ragged raiment was also missing. Then he began to rage and storm and shout for the innkeeper at that moment a servant entered with the breakfast explain Tao limp of satan or thy time is come roared the man of war and made so savage a spring toward the waiter that the slater could not find his tongue for the instant for fright and surprise where is the boy in disjointed and trembling syllables the man gave the information desired you were hardly gone from the place your worship when a youth came running and said it was your worship's will that the boy come to you straight at the bridge-end on the southwark side i brought him hither and when he woke the lad and gave his message the lad did grumble some little for being disturbed so early as he called it but straightway thrust on his legs and went with the youth always saying it had been better manners that your worship came yourself not sent a stranger and so and so tout a fool a fool and easily cozened on thy breed yet mayhap no hurt is done possibly no harm is meant to the boy i will go fetch him make the table ready stay the coverings of the bed were disposed as if one lay beneath them Happened that by accident? I know not, good, your worship. I saw the youth meddle with them, he that came for the boy. Thousand deaths! T'was done to deceive me, tis plain, t'was done to gain time. Hark ye! Was that youth alone? All alone, your worship. Assure? Sure, Sure, your worship. Collect thy scattered with. Betink thee. Take time, man after a moment's thought the servant said when he came none came with him but now i remember that as the two stepped into the throng of the bridge a rough-looking man plunged out from some near place and just as he was joining them what then out with it thundered the impatient handen interrupting just then the crowd lapped them up and closed them in and i saw no more being called by my master who was in a rage because a joint that the scrivener had ordered was forgot though i take all the saints to witness that to blame me for that miscarriage were like holding the unborn baby to judgment for sins come out of my sight idiot Thy priding drives me mad hold wither art flying Canst not bite still an instant went they to watch South's work? Even so, your worship. For as I said before, as to that detestable joint, the baby unborn is no whit more blameless than. <laughs> art here yet, and prating still? Vanish, lest I throttle thee. The servitor vanished. Hendon followed after him, passed him, and plunged down the stairs, two steps at a stride, muttering, "Tis that scurvy villain that claimed he was his son." I have lost thee, my poor little mad master. It is a bitter thought, and I had come to love thee so. No, by book and bell, not lost, not lost, for I will ransack the land till I find thee again. Poor child, yonder is his breakfast, and mine, but I have no hunger now, so let the rats have it. Speed, speed, that is the word. As he warmed his swift way through the noisy multitudes upon the bridge, he several times said to himself, clinging to the thought as if it were a particularly pleasing one, he grumbled. But he went. He went, yes, because he thought. Miles Hendon asked it, sweet lad. He would never have done it for another. I know it well. End of chapter 13